If last year was awful, it's gone. If last year was brilliant, praise God. This year is going to be better, whatever last year was like. I'm just declaring that over you. This year is going to be better. If it was great last year, well, look out because it's going to get better. If it was tough, well, thank God that's over then. There's hope. There's something new coming for this year. It's always good. Um, I want to want to try and start this message um, and finish it on time and kind of walk a journey with you in between. Uh, I uh, we've just got back as Teresa said. Every year we go down to Leicester and there's a global legacy leaders gathering. At, at, Possibly one of the most inconvenient times of the year, particularly for people who, who live and love Scotland, because you know two of our best bank holidays are when this thing is on. Um, but but we do love it, and I, it's the most. It has become. It's it's meandered a little, but it's become a unique event because it's kind of not a conference, although there's worship and speaking. It's kind of like a family event. It really is. People hang out. They spend a lot. We have long lunch times. You catch up with people. How their years gone? They pray together, and then you know, then we all gather and worship starts to happen. And God breaks in in the worship, and people are getting ministered to. And we break bread together, and then different ones speak, and it's amazing. And then God shows up, and people get healed. And then we go out and we go have dinner together again, and we kind of meander around, and, and it's kind of like. Actually, it's a bit like here in as much as worship starts and there's nobody in the room. And then bit by bit, people sort of show up. It's, but part of it is because everybody's like... But then, then it kind of kicks, kicks into gear. God shows up. And, and, and it, it's just become this family event of churches and church leaders around the UK who are on this kind of journey. And there are bumps in the road. There's great testimonies. There's incredible excitement. There's all in the room. At the same time. And for me, it's quite exciting. It feels like all my history is in that room. There's people I used to work with. I got introduced. I spoke. I got introduced by a guy I knew 33 years ago. And I said, and he was like, 33 years ago, we knew this guy. And I'm like, it can't possibly be 33 years ago. He <laughs> um, said he used to gaze at the picture of Teresa and I. We did a course for a year called ICLP back in 1982. And they took a course photo at the end of the year. And he worked in the office the year after so that he was confronted with a photo of us who look a lot like this. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I really felt to... uh, I felt I had a message. I spoke there last year. I felt I had a message uh, which is becoming, I think, my life message, which is about identity. And I want to talk to you about that today, again, uh, because it, we're not done. I'm not done. And if I'm not done, we're not done. So, sorry, I have the mic. That's where we are. Um, and when, when Danny Silk was with us, just actually not that long ago, is it with Christmas and New Year, everything is so last year, isn't it? Um, and when you say last year, last year is like forever ago, isn't it? It's just like, but it, it was only a few weeks ago. And, and he sat with our staff team on the Friday morning or Thursday morning, can't remember which you now, Friday. And one of us, he, I, I didn't say this, I just want to, I can't remember who, I'm not going to point any fingers, but I didn't come out with this phrase, but so, because somebody said, we feel like we're punching above our weight. And, 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 and it's something I've thought, um, but I'm, I'm glad it wasn't me that said it. Because as, as, as it was said in the room, it, 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 we kind of thought that was a, a positive thing to say. Mm-hmm. You know, at, yeah, yeah, as a church, we're punching above our weight. This was said in this little meeting. And as soon as it was released, Danny like, and Bob, who was with him, jumped on it. So I was really glad it wasn't me that said it. Because <laughs> I was still looking good at this point. <laughs> And they said, don't say that. And we're like, 
don't say that. That's, that's an awesome thing to say. You know, we're doing, we're, you know, we're this size and we're taking on challenges this size. And they said, don't say that because that means you see yourself as smaller. It's a confession of being small. And we're like, ooh, suppose it is. It's actually an, uh, another identity statement, isn't it? It's like, there are all these giants, and we're all just these little pygmies, but man, we're giving the giants a good old bash as best as we can. See what I'm saying? And then and, and he spoke some stuff in, into me and Teresa over the weekend and about what was happening here. and like, He basically said, you're bigger people, and bigger people have bigger targets. And it is this huge adjustment in our thinking. And I've watched this. So Paul Mannering, how many of you know that name? A lot of you are familiar. Paul Mannering is, is part of Bethel Church. He's a Brit, and he runs the network that flows out of Bethel called Global Legacy. Now, when I use the word network, it doesn't mean what? Lots of people think it means, but it's this relational connection that is literally going around the globe. And he's headed this thing up. And I know him, and he's becoming a friend. And I've watched him change from a diffident, self-effacing Brit to someone who's got in touch with the identity in God and become this powerful leader without becoming an arrogant one. And what I've realized is I've watched him and I've talked to him about it and, and, and he showed me on his phone, he'd got these things that were like his, his, his hindrances to his own growth in leadership. And some of them were things that we prize as Brits. Like, like they're high values to us to have and he started to understand that they were getting in the way of his growth as a leader. And it is this self-effacing, apologetic, diffident, Thing, and, and, and actually, we, I've seen it happen that we prize people like that so much so that, that we think the fruit of the Holy Spirit is to be self-effacing. Yeah. That is to, to speak yourself down in front of other people. It's almost like the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, self-effacing, diffident. Of course, God is British. True spirituality has got to be pretty close to Britishness, eh? Maybe not. It's the kingdom of heaven, not the United Kingdom. Um, And we had a bit of a collision right there in the room with Danny and Bob about how we were talking and how, how we were talking was reflecting how we were thinking about ourselves. How do you think about your problems? Well, I've got all these challenges this year. Or even your opportunities. Are you, are you and I thinking like, whoa, this is exciting, but pff, don't know how I'm going to handle it. Or are we thinking, I'm already bigger than my challenges and my opportunities? You're more than enough for what God has given you to handle. Otherwise, what we, what we, if we do this sort of, I'm, 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 actually, I'm punching above my weight. What we're doing is we're hoping either for the day where we have a smaller target or we're striving to find a day where we finally grow up big enough. But what we're not trying to do is make the target any bigger. Are you with me? And, 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 and sometimes it's like, oh, I hope this year all the targets are small. But maybe the thing is that we need to see who we are differently and suddenly perspective shift can make a huge difference. Because that's what happened when they went into the land. The spies into the land in, in Numbers 13 when they bring a report back. The reason the people of Israel didn't go into the promised land was because most of the spies who came back gave the report that there's giants in the land and we're just like grasshoppers in our own eyes and so we appear to them. And of course, people aren't grasshoppers. But they were making a statement of the problems are so large, they make us feel so small. And there was just two of them, was Joshua and Caleb, who said, no, 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 God's with us. We can, we can take these giants down. 
We, we, we are, you know, more, more with us than are with them. We, we, we have serious backup. You follow me? I've found what I'm saying is a lot of my life, I suddenly had a moment when Danny said that. I spent a lot of my life thinking I'm small and the problems are large. But thank God God's with me. That, that's an improvement. on a, But actually, he's made me something. He, he's, he's sending me stuff he's, I, he thinks I can handle. So there's, there's even a Bible verse for it. No temptation has overtaken you that's not common to man. God, God is able to make a way or make a way of escape. So what he's saying is he's, he's in control of what comes in front of you. And it's not coming in front of you to squish you like some grasshopper off the shoe of your problem. He's actually created you in such a way as your challenges will be wiped off your shoes at the end of the year. You're looking at me like I just got out of a spaceship from Mars. Um, <clears throat> So let's just spend a bit of time on, on who we are. And uh, just maybe just by way of, of reminder. And I, I spoke this, this message uh, a few days ago. And um, uh, the response was phenomenal. I, I had so much amazing feedback. So much amazing feedback. People were going away having conversations like, did you say, did it? You know, I was getting all sorts of, have you become, no, no, no. But, but I believe the, what God has done at the cross and the resurrection in terms of the transformation of our identity is stunning beyond words. We are forgiven, and we were just hearing that in the prayer time. It's that, but that's the beginning. Yeah. Getting free and getting forgiven and releasing forgiveness is simply the beginning. Just to have a Christianity is I'm forgiven and I'm going to heaven is completely missing the enormity of what the cross and the resurrection did for, did for us. And uh, <clears throat> you, you, some of you will remember, it's a while back now, I was thinking about this and, and actually pressing into God for more of him. And I remember reading the end of one of Bill Johnson's books where he talks about Smith's a prayer meeting with Smith Wigglesworth. I think it's the end of Face to Face with God, but it may be one of his, his other ones. And he, he, there's, an, there's an historic extract written by a guy who was in some prayer meetings in New Zealand with Smith Wigglesworth. Do you know who he was? All right, he's not alive now, so I'm not expecting to have any personal information about him. But he, he was a, a powerful signs and wonders, faith man, born in Bradford, a plumber, and particularly powerful in between the wars, and, and, and he died in 1947. So, but but he's, he's kind of known as a real hero of the faith, faith, but also particularly known for his gruffness, punching people in the stomach to get them healed, you know, really, really throwing people off the stage, and they got healed. You know, only do that if that's going to happen, just a word of advice. And he... <laughs> This guy was in a prayer meeting with Smith Wigglesworth, the pre-meeting prayer meeting with all the assembled pastors who, were, who had promoted this outreach event in New Zealand. And he describes the prayer meeting as everybody prays their best prayer, all the leaders pray their best prayer, and, and Smith Wigglesworth is sitting there, and then finally it's like his turn to pray. He starts to pray, and he says the atmosphere in the room starts to change, and one by one the leaders start to leave. And he, the writer, is there sort of hanging on, and eventually he, leave, he leaves because everybody can't handle the atmosphere that happens when Wigglesworth starts to pray. So, so the writer writes, we were going to the next meeting. I determined that I was going to stay in the room next time. And, and it describes the same scene. The same thing happens. And people start to pray, and they do their best prayer, and then Wigglesworth starts to pray, and the writer's saying, he's like holding on to his chair. But he said, eventually, even I couldn't handle it, and he, and he left the room. And uh, he said, Wigglesworth lived in an atmosphere of heaven or a presence of God 
that few people could handle or few other people could live with. And, and I read it and at the same time went, I want it and I'm scared of it. Yeah. And, and, and so I'm in this pursuit. I'm looking for more and I'm in this pursuit. And a couple of years ago in worship in, this, in our supernatural school, this is kind of what's playing in the background of my head. I'm like, I want it, but it's scary. I want it. And what I'm scared of is becoming, is getting zapped. Somehow in my Christian upbringing, you know, that level of encounter means I'm, I'm going to be toasted in the presence. Yeah. 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 Uh, what's going to happen is, is exposure, is, you know, all, all my real dirty washing. Is, the reason I can't stay in the room is because what I'm seeing is my ugliness in the light of his incredible holiness. Yeah. That's what I was processing in this. Fi- and, and that's not fun, is it? Yeah. Anybody here up for that bit of that today? Just get it right out there. You, you know, we wouldn't volunteer for that, would we? You have to be pretty courageous to. Pre- and the, I, what I understood was going on is that fear was keeping me out of the pursuit. Because it's like, who, who really? You know, let's just do a great Sunday morning, and you know, the love of God, and la 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 la. But I want to go there. That sounds really. That's pretty pretty gruesome stuff. Good on you, Smith Wigglesworth. Are you understanding me? I mean, it's not just me, is it? So this is what's in me, and I'm, I'm in this worship time in, a, in the HSSL, in the Supernatural School, and, in, and God comes in the room like he just keeps doing, and he says to me, what's going to wreck you in deeper encounters with me is my high opinion of you. I was stunned, and it was so clear. It was like, this is the Holy Spirit. This is the voice of the Lord. And, and ever since, well, before then, he was doing things with me about identity. But that was a moment of, he was actually, has been doing, I've been getting theology by revelation. Because that didn't fit my belief system. Now, whether my belief system was right or wrong at the minute is not the point. The point is it, that was a statement outside my belief system. So I got a direct revelation from the Holy Spirit that the, the, mo- the thing that's going to be so difficult to deal with, with intense encounters with God, isn't my ugliness, but his high opinion of me. Yeah. And, and do you know that feeling that you have around people that really start to praise you up and encourage you and tell you how wonderful you are? And after the first you know, little bit is good, but after a little bit, you know, calm down. <laughs> That's enough. You know, I, I'm, so anybody else like me? Anybody? Just like, oh, just don't overdo it. Yeah, I'm not that fantastic. If you really knew me, you'd know I'm not that fantastic. That's, and, and, and if you big me up that much, I know I'm going to disappoint you. So let's just keep this whole thing on. Let's keep it smaller so that... You, you, it's realistic. And, 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 but, you know, if God is going to be praising me up big time, that's going to be the thing that I'm going to stay in the room. How am I going to get close to someone who thinks that much of me? That's, that's, you see what I'm saying? We, we struggle, we've struggled, we've had people, we have people, he's here, travels three hours to come to our supernatural school, and then go back again, Mark, Sheldrick, he's here, he's like, what a flipping hero. Now, it's amazing for him, but the other, a few weeks ago, we had two air stewardesses show up in the room who decided to spend their air ticket on a flight from Dubai to come to Hope Church. You see, what it does to us is like, oh, you got you. that's how highly somebody was thinking of us. So they flew from Dubai for church. They spent their ticket as, as to, to show up here. Do you see what I'm saying? It's like, <laughs> us, who would do that for us? Well, people are doing that for us. 
People are traveling hours. We've got people now on team leading the, the supernatural school who've done year one, year two, and now in team, and they're still traveling from Dundee every week we do it to do that. We can't get rid of them. <laughs> we don't want to get rid of them, but that, that's an hour and a half, hour and three-quarter drive each way every time we do it. And they show early, they help, they're amazing, and they've been, this is now the third year. How are you feeling? Somebody came from Dubai for your church meeting. Now, one level, that's woohoo, and another level, well, little old us. See, that's. That has to change. That's British, not kingdom. But as leaders, we feel it. It's like, what? I remember talking to Phil when it first happened, and we were like, and every now and again, when he talks on the school, he says it. It's like, well, Thank you all for coming, but you know, like, wow, this is a massive privilege that you're coming from Sterling, Dundee. You know, this is where people come from. Sterling, Dundee. Where is it you live, Mark? It's like in the sea, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Dundee, Sterling, Edinburgh, Mullochintyre. People are coming to our stuff. It feels like a massive privilege, and like, whoa, I hope we've got something to say this week. <laughs> do, do, it's got to be good this week because, my goodness, and it keeps happening. You know, we, we have effectively have a small group in Dunfermline, like, yeah. and they keep showing up. Yeah. Takes them an hour to come to church. Yeah. It'd be good when they're here, my goodness. That's, do, you, do you see what it can do to you? People praising you and, 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 and appreciating you at a high level can make you start to go, whoa. I mean, you can get to the point where you don't want to talk to them in case you disappoint them. <laughs> Is this connected to anybody in the room? All right, this making sense. This has to change. We have to start believing the right things about, about who, who we are. It has to change in me. Because what I'm finding is in his presence, I am getting overwhelmed by his high opinion of me. I keep getting more and more information from heaven about how he views me and therefore how he, how he views us. That's a super long intro, but important. <laughs> There's now a seven-point sermon, which I'm not going to get through, so I'm just going to have a selective... It's a great... It's a great thanks, Nick. Yeah. Wasn't that a good intro? <laughs> That was an awesome intro, eh? Thank you, thank you. And the message is even better than the intro. Just so you know, you will not be disappointed. <laughs> See, even saying that, people could say, well, he's a bit arrogant today. Why, well, hey, whoa. If Jesus, if Jesus showed up, to, if, we, if we could get Jesus' book to preach next week, would you come? Yeah. You know what his, what his opening lines are likely to be, though? Well, well he, he, here's a sample. Someone greater than Solomon is here. Actually, someone greater than Jonah is here. That, that was one of his opening lines. A, a, another famous one is, Hi, everybody, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, if you didn't know it was Jesus, you'd be like, get him off, the arrogant so-and-so. Um, I am the bread of life. How about that one? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Do you see what I'm saying? And he stood up after his baptism, he stood up and he opened the book and he said, the Spirit of the Lord is on me, he's anointed me to... And then he sat in the chair you're not supposed to sit in. He said, today this is fulfilled in your hearing. Everybody knew what he meant. He was like, I'm talking about me now. Just saying. That's not even the message. That's just in the intro still. <laughs> your identity is the number one target of the enemy. 
It's the thing he doesn't want you to, he doesn't want you to know who you are, and if you do know, he wants you to forget as fast as possible. So we don't, we don't have, it's interesting, we don't have a lot of information about the devil in the Bible. But there are two occasions where he, where he clearly appears, manifests, and interacts with people. One is in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, and then later with Jesus after his baptism, it says the devil appeared to him and tempted him. If you read both of those carefully, you'll, you will see that the target is the identity. So he comes to Eve and, and, and to Adam, and, and he says, <clears throat> Look, I know that God has given you the whole planet, and every tree is yours. And, uh, I'm, I'm filling out the story, all right? This isn't actually the text. But he says, all this stuff is yours, but you know what? If This tree you're not supposed to have. If you eat the fruit of this tree, then you'll be like God, and you'll know good from evil. And this is, this is, although you have everything, God's given you the planet. You actually need this tree that you can't have. I mean, that, that could be our society, isn't it? We have so much, but there's the one that we still don't have. So. But what he's doing is saying, if you eat this, you'll be like God. The stupid thing is, they already were like God. So Genesis chapter 1, I think it's verse 27. I've got it in my notes. Yeah. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. The devil says, God knows that when you eat, eat your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God. He's relying on the fact that he can kind of bamboozle them enough that they forget all that they have and all that they are in order to do something to get what they already have, in order to become who they already are. He's saying, effectively saying, what you need to do is you need to do something to be somebody. God's already made you somebody. Significance is a gift it's not the product of a work. You can't work to be a better you in, in this context. How do I get to be amazing? You are amazing. You have to start from identity, not work up towards it, which is what the devil's been telling the church for centuries. Just do a little bit more, then you'll be awesome. Now we start off awesome. He's made us to carry his image. The more we work at being who we already are, the more we just become religious. And some of the things he asks us to do can sound so plausible and so good, and, and so full of scripture, remember the temptation of Jesus, he literally says to him, if you're the son of God, then you know, change, change these, these, these stones into bread, or if you're the son of God, then toss yourself off a building, and, 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 and he'll catch you, because you're a son, what is he challenging you, if you're a son, your identity, and if you are, then prove it by doing something. And he keeps doing it to me. He keeps saying it to me. You've got to prove that you are this thing. And I'm beginning to wake up to say, well, why do I need to prove what I already am? Because actually, if you obey his temptation, you start to dance to his tune. And although, he, like to Jesus, he's quoting scripture. Psalm 91, he'll bear you up in his hands. If he did it, he'd been obeying Satan, which is death. Hello? So you can be thinking, oh, I'm doing this good thing, because when I do this good thing, that's going to show God, the devil, everybody who I am. Well, guess what? You, you, you already lost something. I'm looking for... I've still got question marks. I'll keep going. It's fundamental. We don't have to work to be who we are. It's interesting in Galatians. They're getting into works. They're getting into the law. They're getting into keeping rules in order to be spiritual. And Paul says a couple of things about the fruit of that. Is One is they've lost connection with Christ. 
So they're thinking this is, a, this is a spiritual thing to do. He's saying this is an unspiritual thing to do. And then he says, I, I, I am in pains of labor like childbirth, praying that Jesus will be reformed inside of you. See, the very thing we're given at conversion, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, can be deformed by religious performance. The very thing we're given at conversion, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, can be deformed through religion and religious performance. We start off. Powerful. We start off with Christ in us. And he never goes away. This is kind of the tension we live in. He never goes away. But once you start to dance to the devil's tune, you are submitting to a different kingdom and manifesting a different set of values and believing a wrong set of beliefs about yourself. It's absolutely critical what we believe. What Adam and Eve believed changed the whole of history. Because they forgot who they were in that moment, all of history changed. Can you see? Sometimes we think, oh, it's just mind control. It's just mind games. It's just about, you know, you're just talking about changing your mind. But that's what repentance means. Repentance means change your mind because God knows you can change the world with a changed mind. As you can damn it, you can save it by just what you believe in here. Come on. Literally be transformed by the renewal of your mind. The same word transformed in the renewal of your mind is the same word when Jesus is transfigured. So a better translation would be to say, be transfigured by the renewal of your mind. What happened in the Mount of Transfiguration? You remember Jesus takes up Peter, James, John up the mountain and he's transfigured before them and he shines and his clothes are brighter than light, lightning and da, da 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 And then God comes on his cloud and parks it over their head and and, and Moses and Elijah appear. I mean, get your head around this. This is, this is, this is super strange, but this happened. Yeah. But the word is transfigured. Why is it transfigured? It's because what was in him was being let out of him. He wasn't getting an installation of heaven reality. He was releasing heaven's reality that was present inside him. Be transfigured by the renewal of your mind is lining your mind up with the truth of what God has already done in order that it will be released from you and be manifest. Try these people over here. You already have this amazing thing. Christ in you, the hope of glory, gets released as you line your mind up with that reality. You are transfigured. It is not getting something from external to you, either from heaven or anywhere else. It's actually releasing what has been put in you by the grace and favor of God. They responded better when I was talking to you. This is a, this is a strange group. You guys were all like, yes, we're listening. Well done. These guys are like, yay! I was working. However it works, I don't mind. <laughs> Is, is, this, is this making sense? God's made you significant. Just because he did. He's restored everything that Adam lost in Christ and given it to you. I, I was I was I was getting in trouble when I was talking about this because what 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 I am saying is that that Jesus Christ is in you. The, the Bible says that in him all the fullness of deity dwelt in bodily form. Okay, we're okay with that bit. The bit that freaks us out is is that the Bible then says in Colossians that that he now lives in you in that way. 
and you have received fullness in him. That's not a theological idea. It's not something that you just enjoy when you die. We're not waiting for Jesus to come back for that to be a reality. That's true right now, that the Christ in whom the fullness of deity dwells, it dwelt in bodily form, that same reality, that same person is fully installed and alive inside of you now. The moment you believed, he took up residence. In fullness, Colossians said. No part deliveries. That means we are like God. I'm not saying we are God. Right? I have to say that. But we are, we are like God. And people have a problem with that statement. But that was the original plan. Remember. Adam and Eve were made in the likeness of God. And they were told to fill the earth and be, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. God's plan was to make people like him and fill the earth with people like him so that the earth was filled with him. Yeah. Plan never changed. It's still the plan. You are people like God. For two reasons. One is he made you. So, you know, we're always singing these songs. They really bug me. I'm sorry, but there's no one like you, Lord. It's as if Someone needs to come up with some new words. Oh, there's no one like you, Lord. And it was bugging me again just a couple of days ago in worship. We're singing, oh, there's no one like you, Lord. I'm like, God, this is bugging me. Why is this bugging me? And he says, because it's not true. And I'm like, that's it. It isn't true. We're all like him. Come on. We're made in his image. Now, I know what it's trying to express. That there is, so this is where I get in trouble. All right? And I'm not trying to get in trouble. I'm just trying to swing the pendulum to a bit more where it ought to be, which is we are bearers of his likeness. Jesus said to the disciples, as the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. How did the Father send Jesus? He says that the fullness of deity dwelt in him in bodily form. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So he goes and he's ascended to the right hand of the Father, sends the Spirit, he regenerates and renews us so that he then sends us the same way that he was sent because he was the first of a kind of which we are the same. So hence that phrase that we use here is he's a model of us, not for us. He was the first of our kind. Nobody like this existed before Jesus. So Jesus was a prototype, not, sometimes we think of the word prototype as like experiment. So it wasn't like God said, well, what happens if I take 100% divinity and 100% man and put them in one person? Let's see if it works or will it blow up? A bit like, I remember my, my favorite chemistry experiment at school was the chemistry teacher was allowed to take hydrogen and oxygen, pass an electric current through it to see if it would make water. You know, H2O is hydrogen and oxygen, yeah? yeah? The exciting bit is it's really hard to do, and if you get it wrong, it blows up. <laughs> so I remember that chemistry experiment for decades because it just went boom, you know, and shards of glass, they can't do it anymore. You know, this current, you, 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 anybody here doing your hires is just boring because then we could blow stuff up. Now health and safety is cut in. But God wasn't doing that with Jesus. He wasn't going, up, oh, if I put all of me in, all of them, wow, let's see what happens. They're going to tear themselves apart. We're going to have a nuclear explosion. It wasn't a prototype like that. It was, he knew it would work. All right, you've got to remember that Jesus wasn't an afterthought. He was the forethought. It wasn't like, oops, there was a fall. What do we do? I know, we'll send Jesus like a man. It was always the plan. Jesus is the center, not the, he's not the mop-up operation. He's the focus of the whole thing. 
So this was always the plan, it was always going to work, that there would be someone that was both heaven and earth in one place, that was God and man, united, fully functioning on the planet. He was the prototype, he was the firstborn of many brothers. You need a Bible verse, don't you? You're like, oh, doing our heads in again. Romans. There's lots of them. Romans 8, 29. For those God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of the likeness of his Son. So they might be the what? The among see that's prototype he was the first of our family first of people like us and often when certainly when I was growing up as a Christian I was taught that verse as a behavior verse alright copy Jesus' behavior be a good boy no what it's saying is he is your family he is your family line. You bear his DNA, so be what he was. Now, of course, that includes behavior, but there's a lot more besides just... In fact, he, he wasn't... I don't think he was even a nice person in the sense that we mean it. We've kind of boiled Christianity down to being nice and not getting in trouble. He made loads of trouble. On purpose. Where did we get this stuff? It, it's, what's happened is the devil comes in and he tells us lies about who we are and we believe them. So we are the same kind as him. He was the first of our kind. And even, the, the, so there's overlap, right? Now there's things about Jesus that are not true about us. So like he holds together creation. He is the creator, but we are creators. We're just not creators of the planets, we, we, but our words can create worlds, can create realities, but we're not, in, uh, I'm trying to reassure some people, we're not, but, but we are like him in that we are create, not just creative, but we are creators, but we're not the creator, and we're not the sustainers of all things, but we are like him in that he dwells inside of us and we can fully represent him to the planet in terms of all the impossible stuff he did, we can do because we're like him. Yeah. You see, we're not trying to become like him. We are, we are like him and we're developing that. We're being transfigured. More of it is coming out. Yeah. Yeah. So he's a model of us. If you see it in him, you can see it in you. So you read a story about Jesus did, 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 and you think, I really like that. I'd love to do that. He's saying to you, you're on. The reason you want to do it is because I've changed you on the inside and I'm in you. So I've put inside you desires to do things like I do them. And if you want to do them and you see them in me, it's possible. So I, I love the story of some crazy young guys down in Southern California who kind of got hold of this and they decided that they wanted to walk on water. And they kept running into the sea and it wasn't working, but eventually something started to happen. Some of them were so crazy that they wanted to walk through walls and I think, I think you might need a resurrection body to do that. But, but you could hear the thump down the corridor as they were running into it. Now, I love that. See, the thing we yeah. See, it's becoming like kids. Let's play. So you're like, wow, I'd love to do that. We'll have a go. Maybe it'll work first time. Maybe it won't work first time, but it'll work. You're like Andy. You're, you're off on one. No, I'm not off on one. Honestly, I'm a sharer of the divine nature. That's what it says in one Peter. I part, I'm a partaker 
of the divine nature, and so are you. This is, honestly, this is exciting. I can't make this more exciting. (laughs) You partake of the divine nature, God's very nature, you're like munching down on it right now. It's, It's inhabiting your life. And, and theologians have two words for the nature of God. They have the communicable aspects and the incommunicable aspects. The communica- and, and what I've discovered is they, they put different things in these categories, but broadly what they mean is the communicable ones are things about the nature of God that it's easy for us to connect to because we have some understanding. Like he is, <coughs> he is all-knowledgeable, all right? So he's omniscient. Well, we kind of get that because we have knowledge, but we're not. Do you see what I mean? So it's a communicable aspect of God. But God is also omnipresent. This is a part of the nature of God, is that He's everywhere all the time. Now, most of us only have the ability to be in one place at one time. But Paul, you can read that Paul obviously had the ability to be in Corinth and wherever else he was at the same time, or in Colossae. Why? Because he was a participator in the divine nature. And he didn't just participate in the bits of God he could understand. He was participating in the bits of God that he didn't understand. You see why I get in trouble, don't you? You see, 1 John tells us that as he is, so are we in the world. So it's not as he was, it's as he is. So if we are the Jesus, because we're seated with him in heavenly realms, we are, we are filled with that Jesus, not the Jesus that walked along the streets of Galilee. Which is why I think he said that you'll do the works that I did and greater works because I go to the Father. That because I go to the Father means we can do greater things than he did because we are filled with the exalted Christ, not one who's now restored. So when, he, when he's resurrected in Matthew 28, it says, all authority has now been given to me because it was lost by Adam and Eve. Yeah. He, yeah. he got it all yeah. back yeah. and then got resurrected. Yeah. And, and then, then he's, he basically gave us the keys and said, go blow stuff up with this. <laughs> he did. He, he, he gave us his authority yeah. to change the world again. To fill it with people like him. Yeah. You were made for dark places. Yeah. Yeah. So, so here's another thing. We're like Jesus. So Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Yeah. Try these guys. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Didn't he say that? Yeah. He said that. And then he said, what? He said, you are the light of the world. Yeah. So you are made for places that need light. One of the functions of being here and getting encouraged and empowered and reminded who we are is that we go out there and blow stuff up. That we go out there and we take light into dark places, whether it's an office or or street people. But you are made fundamentally to carry light into darkness. And when you're not doing it, you're bored. I I was speaking this message a couple of days ago, and, and, and I did what I've started to... But at the beginning... I described the front of someone's house in a lot of detail. And in this room of 300 people, this guy puts his hand up and says, this is my house. <laughs> so do you remember a few weeks ago, I had to go to a telephone number. I was dying up front here. It was really going bad. But I nailed this guy's house and, and brought this prophetic word over him. That was just a lot of fun. He was like, whoa. And it fitted who he was. And he was a creative guy. And <laughs> that was amazing. And then while, while I was talking, what started to happen is people get healed while I'm talking. And then I get them to find out at the end. Uh, and so three, three people's pain had left their body. And later I found out there was a fourth person. So this, later in the day, this young woman came up to me and said, before you spoke in the worship, I, I, I danced, but I, I broke my ankle badly a number of years ago. And she lifted up her leg and showed me the, the scars, where they'd ins- long scars where they'd operated and inserted two metal pins. 
And she said, when I, if, if, I used to love to dance, and, but if I dance, it hurts. And I danced and I sat down and I was hurting and I was listening to you. The pain was going away. She said, I want to set you a challenge because I want you to pray for it tonight because I, not only have I had pain from this, but I've also lost movement. I'd really like the metal to disappear or something to change because when I'm driving my car, it was the right leg. The, the ankle can't flex the whole way because where the screw is or the rod is, it, it's bumping against it. So she came back the next morning and, and the screws were still there, but all her pain had gone. She'd been dancing all the way through worship and all miraculously, I don't know how this works because there was a piece of metal in the way the night before, but now all the movement in her ankle had completely returned. So when you walk into a room, because of who you are, everything changes. Every hopeless situation starts to cease to exist. Starkness, darkness starts to tremble because of the light that you bring. And when you walk into the room, every heart starts burning. When you walk into the room, because of who you are, and who's in you? When you walk into the room, sickness starts to vanish. That's what's starting to happen with me. I'm showing up places. I'm talking about this. Sickness is leaving the room without people praying for it, thinking about it. Things are just vanishing out of their bodies. Isn't that exciting? This is true for you. When you walk in the room, sickness starts to vanish. Every hopeless situation ceases to exist. And when you walk into the room, the dead begin to rise. Something Jesus said about himself was, he said to, about Lazarus, he's dead, but he's going to rise. Yeah. Not because I'm going to pray for him. He didn't say that. And he never prayed for Lazarus. He didn't pray, oh God, raise him up. What he said was, he's going to rise because I'm resurrection and life. Resurrection is going to happen because resurrection is here. And what's happening is as you align with your identity like Jesus did, the reality around you aligns with your identity. Yeah. Let's try that again before we sing this song. As we align with our identity, the reality around us aligns with that reality. All right, so he aligned with, I, I am resurrection and life. This is who I am. So death had to line up with resurrection. Sickness has to line up with health. I'm contagiously healthy. Jesus was contagiously healthy. He just had to touch the hem of his garment. And you, you, you didn't give him your sickness. You got his health. Are, are you with me? He, he was health and healing. He wasn't praying for health and healing. He was releasing what he was to the planet. And everybody that saw that, when they touched him, they got healed. When he walked into a room, everything changed. Demons started to tremble. Demons started to leave. When you walk into a room, everything changes because He is in you and you're aligned with Him. As you start to believe the reality of who you really are, you are going to line up with that and what's around you will align up with who you are. 